Sunsets from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. So the, the word this morning, it's not fully formed, um, but that's the thing of God. That's, that's how God is, it, right? There's no, it's a continuous journey with Him. He never really lands because he wants us to stay connected to him and he keeps speaking and so he was talking to me in recent times um about you know maybe in the last six months or eight months about the parallel seasons of life so i was one of those people that believed um or i for the most part i thought i i kind of experienced um seasons in um, how do you describe it concurrently not necessarily simultaneously. So simultaneous seasons would be where the good and bad are happening at the same time. Whereas concurrent seasons might be a season where you're going through a you know, season of great success, great, you know, great success, great everything. You know, anything you touch your hand, you know, touch turns to gold. And then you might then have a small dark season where there seems to be failure or delays or disappointments. And then you come back into a good season. So sort of like, you know, riding the waves like that. But I sort of came to a season where I had two seasons running in parallel. And I didn't know what to do with those seasons. So on the one hand, I'll see the great and mighty manifestations of God in my life, in, you know, some things happening to me, for me, and around me. But on the other side, I would also see some deep, dark pain of things that I just could not understand. So I'm thinking, is it that my faith is strong enough to birth this particular area, but it's not enough to birth this particular area? Or is it that God has put this as a thorn in my flesh in this particular area to keep me connected to him and I couldn't really understand it so this message is it's not a message from a, me a place of understanding it's a message that in the hope that as I start the conversation with him and sharing it with my brothers and sisters that perhaps God will start to untangle the wires so that we come into a deeper place of understanding because if his name is not glorified through that situation or circumstance it's not over so who has been through those kind of seasons where the two seasons are running at the same time? At the same time. And it led me to the concept of time and the way that we will define time. Um, so there's the Kronos and the Kairos. And Kronos will usually be, you know, they will define it as um, a chronological or sequential time. So something measurable between two events. So from when you were born to when you die, right? That's a chronology from when I start the sermon to hopefully when I finish in 45 minutes, right? That's time. Did someone tell me when I'm running over? <laughs> um, and then we'd use things like clocks and calendars and watches or counting or any other means of measuring time to define that. And so usually there'll be a sense of urgency because I need to do this within a particular time. Do you understand? So that's what chronology is. Um, you have to keep to a schedule. There's a sense of urgency. You need to complete this between this and then. And many of us run our lives in chronos. So you're born, if your child is not speaking by age three, you're already agitating. You're calling people. Is your, is your, child, is your son speaking? Yes. Ah, why is my son not speaking? Um, is your, you get into school, you go through school, 
You should go into secondary school or college, and then when you finish college, your parents are already expecting, and now that you've graduated, perhaps it's time to marry, right? And then you marry, or you should get a job. So there's, there's a laid down sequence of events that if you don't follow, people will look at you and feel like you're a failure. Who agrees? Okay. So I remember some first daughter in an Igbo family, and I'm sure you know that Igbo people marry early. So this is me at 23. I was on a plane, jetting off to go and do my master's, and my father's friends, who I thought were very enlightened, right? Said, ah, this is when you should be keeping her here to marry. You're sending her abroad. My father was like, the mistake I made was I didn't send her sin safe. So it didn't make sense to a lot of people. Off I went. And true to their words, 26, 28, 30. <laughs> Still not married. <laughs> so the, my younger ones then got married before me. So it wasn't quite adding up in the sequence of events. Do you understand? So for all intents and purposes, I probably became prayer point for some people. <laughs> Whereas I was living my best life because I was not following Kronos. Thank God for revelation and understanding that we do not judge ourselves by the standards of men. So many of us are running a race that was set for us by the timetable of the world and by the standards and expectations of men. And that's why we get into trouble. Do you understand? So, however, Kairos is more, it's not measurable. It's not tangible. It's about the right time for you to do what God has called you to do. So it won't look like anybody else's race. It won't look like anybody else's journey. It will tend to look a bit upside down. You're doing things out of sequence, not from a place of rebellion, because you know that there's also a spirit of rebellion that prevails in our times and seasons where you would decide that because there's an expectation of you to be a particular way or do a particular thing, you will now decide from your own flesh and carnality that you will defy that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place of deep understanding when you know that there's an opportune time for you to come into a season or to do a particular thing in obedience to God's words and God's instruction and it will make no sense to the people around you. And so while Kronos is concerned with measurements. Kairos is concerned about the quality of time, the quality of what you are doing. And so what then happens is that when we come into particular seasons of our lives, it then appears like things are bad or good. Whereas what you're measuring as bad is only bad in the context of the expectations that you have set for yourself according to man's own timetable. Do you understand what I mean? And so someone gets married and two years in, they don't have a child. Five years in, they don't have a child. But God has said that in their tenth year, he'll give them triplets. So the person who then got married and had child one at maybe two years in, child two at three years, five years in, and child three at 10 years in. And then the person who comes 10 years in, no child, they end up with three plates. Are they not the same? Abby? Okay. 
So I want us to redefine what I'm hoping that I can do is that we redefine the things that we have called the bad seasons of our lives. Because in the place of those so-called bad seasons, if we would pay attention are the places when we experience the deepest and most meaningful encounters with God. Because if it does not glorify his name, it's not complete. If it does not glorify his name, it's not complete. And so Moses decided, he already knew, he had a sense that he was a liberator and a deliverer of his people. And so when he went that day and then he saw the Egyptian flogging the, you know, the Israelites. He arose in his assignment as a liberator. But he arose in that assignment, not in Kairos, but in Kronos. And that's why instead of being celebrated for what he did, he was labeled a murderer. And he had to run away from Egypt. Do you understand? He was supposed to do that. He was supposed to be a liberator. Because don't forget that it's the same Moses that then came. And wiped out Egyptian armies. Firstborn sons. Dead. Plague in the land and city. Can that compare to the one person that he killed? But the problem was he did it out of season. Many of us are operating in what we believe is our assignment and our calling and our glory out of season. Sometimes wealth will not come into your hand because you're not equipped to handle it. You are not equipped to handle it. And because God loves you so much, what you are calling delay is him saving your life and your consecration. Because he knows what will happen if he comes in that season. So what you're calling the difficult seasons of your life is actually God working out a greater plan for you. So Moses that was supposed to become the liberator became a murderer and had to go into a season of over 40 years of exile until the moment of the burning bush when God called him back to that assignment. Abraham was promised a child. That thing was a promise and God was going to fulfill that promise. But he decided, he and his wife decided that they will bring the fulfillment of God's word into with their own hands. And herein lies the dilemma that we still face to today. And so when we decide that we want to fast track the seasons of our lives because God said, it's not enough that God said, it's when did he say it would happen it's the question we ought to be asking because when God says a thing it must be established his word does not lie but the problem is the when and so many of our agitations are not coming from a place of lack of faith or not believing this word of God but because of our sense of urgency and our impatience to drag the thing that God has said into the season premature David was a shepherd warrior, anointed for kingship. But it wasn't his time. It wasn't the time yet. He had to go on a journey of 20 years before he could become the king of Israel. Or is it Joseph, when he, was, he saw the dream and the vision that he was going to be a leader over his brothers, instead of him to be silent, he went bragging to them. 
and he was sold into Egypt. Sold and he had to go through the years until the time of Kairos. And so I want us to be reflective in our lives and start to think about the things that we have said are the bad seasons or the dark seasons of our lives that are running in parallel or happening to us and we feel a sense of disappointment and a sense of weightiness and a sense of lack of fulfillment because we're like, God, why? Why is this not happening? Why is this not happening as you have said it should? Am I not doing the things you've called me to do? Where am I making a mistake? And then remember in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, I want us to read it. I mean, it's something that everyone knows. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8, it says that there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. And we then think that this season's one is supposed to have a logical end before the other one starts. But we realize that many of these things are happening at the same time in our lives. Do we realize that in the plan of God, that the magnitude of the greater one becomes even more visible because the other one coexists? Have you seen people where in the deepest, darkest moments of their lives is when they pull forth the greatest stories and the greatest testimonies and the greatest messages of transformation that have ever happened. And then you wonder, how can such beauty come out of such pain and darkness and ashes? A friend of mine lost her husband a few months ago last year. And through the season over the last six months of mourning him, she has become the person who everyone in trouble runs to for comfort. Does that make any sense? She's grieving a young husband. She's left with children to take care of by herself. But she's the one who everybody is running to for comfort in their day of trouble. And so through her season of her deepest, darkest grief, She's birthing transformation that will be counted unto her in heaven. My goodness. I don't know what's more difficult than death. Because there's a finality to someone dying. There's no chance for repentance. There's no chance of forgiveness, for restoration, all of those things. It says that, um, there's a Latin word that says, Doom spiro spero. When there is life, there is hope. So as long as we remain alive, 
It doesn't matter how bad the situation is. There's always hope that it go better. Things will get better one day. But when someone dies, there's a finality to it. So how can in her deep, dark pain and grief, how is she able to be the one to pick people up from the floor? For things that quite frankly, in, 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 in comparison, cannot stand beside the death of a spouse. I want us that during the dark seasons of our lives to remember that God is real. I want us to remember that may your, may your bad days prove that God is good. Remember, who knows that song? Do you know it? May your struggles keep you, escape you near the cross. May your God is good. May you. <laughs> they should. May your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life prove that God is From beginning. May your struggles keep you near the cross and may your troubles show that you need God may your battles end the way they should and may your bad days prove that God is good may your whole life prove that God is good and through my bad days and through my dark days I want people to look at me and see the goodness of God I want people to see me on the floor in, a, in pain and vulnerability but pick myself up because God is good and my life must glorify him. That is all that truly matters. Because this earth is very temporary. And all the things that we hold dear to our hearts are very fickle. Very fickle. And in the day that it really matters, they will fail. I want you to remember that. If you have a consciousness of this, offense will be minimal in your heart which is one of the tools that the enemy uses to bring us into a place of destruction if you understand that one day a person can be a billionaire and the next day they cannot pay their children's school fees you understand that money is a spirit it's like wind ikuku blow it will go do you understand if you remember that that your bad days must prove that god is real so we, we live in times and seasons where, unfortunately, the people that have been our leaders over the years, some of us have had to listen to wrong ideology. If you are truly in God, only good things will happen for you. Lie. What would Job say then? He was on his own. God went and said, are you seeing? <laughs> this is my servant, Job. <laughs> good guy always praying worshiping he does sacrifices ahead of his children committing sin he gives me everything that he has he loves me 
God, please don't boast about me like that. Oh, ah, disappoint you, God. No, no, no. I don't want to disappoint him. Please just don't boast about me like that. What would Job say then? What did Job do wrong? Nothing. He'll say to you that bad things are happening around you. You or someone in your lineage sinned, a deep sin. They left a sacrifice on the altar of Amadioha. Or Shango. Abi, what's the other one? Eh? Eh? Ifa? Aha. Do you understand? Some of your lineage must have done that. So you need deliverance, prayer, and fasting. 30 days. Finish the 30 days. They'll say, it's still there. Another round of 30 days. They'll tell you, you haven't prayed enough. When you pray from the depth, then good things will start to happen. They'll tell you, you have very little faith. Because if you had faith, you would say to this mountain, be that removed, and the mountain will be removed. Or they'll tell you, you are not the chosen one. You are not good enough. You are unrighteous. You are not holy. Forgetting that he says he leaves the 99 for the one. That though our sins be as red as scarlet, he will make them as white as snow. I remember an older friend of mine, a woman I totally, you know, respected. And um, then I was still trusting God for children. And she had tried sneakily to say a few things to me, but she didn't quite know how to say it. And then one day, I was just thinking her something innocently. You know how sometimes you have strong head about it. I was just thinking her, her, her. I said, so I decided to be stubborn, and this is what I did. I just, someone that I, I felt was a friend that I could, you know, just be vulnerable to. And I said to her, I did this. I was being stubborn, and this is what I did. She said, hey, I always knew it. She said, you know you people from Riverine area, if we have marine spirits, Hey, God. I see up for all this my chasing after God. So looked at me, finished, and I said, I'm married spirit. So when I told my sister, my sister said, yeah, he said he's the God of the heavens, the earth, and even the sea. So it's okay. <laughs> he said, because our God made the sea. So you have married spirit. It's all right. <laughs> so in her head, she had, and then she then went on to say a couple of other things, which I'm not going to bother sharing. But basically, what she was trying to insinuate was that I had marine spirit, which is why I did not have a child. Do you understand? That's the foolishness that some of us perpetuate. And then we say that to people who are already struggling with insecurities and vulnerabilities, who are trying to find God, who are trying to understand this thing of God. You say a thing to someone like that, what have you done to them? What have you done to them? The person will now be running from pillar to post looking for deliverance. And of course, there will always be, always be people who will take advantage of their vulnerability. Do you understand? The enemy finds you in the place of your vulnerability. He will come and whisper lies in your ears. He will magnify something you even know is not true. He will magnify the lies in your ear. Before you know it, you're dead. He's trying to kill you and destroy you completely. And so we put out these wrong ideologies and tell people that the bad seasons of their life is because of something that they did wrong. But caveat though, caveat though, God hates sin. Let's not get it twisted. He hates sin. So what happens is that when we do those things that grieve the heart of the father, what he's doing 
is he's standing and waiting for you to come back in repentance. He's not going to just give you a slap on the wrist and say, it's all right, come and be going. Because now we are in times and seasons and generations where people justify their sins in comparison to another person's sin. So if you stole $1,000 from your office, you say, ah, my own is small now. Uh-uh. I know uh, John. John stole $10 million and he's walking around free. Ah, please, my own is small. When you're talking about thieves, you want to mention my own. I beg, I beg, I beg, I beg. Do you understand? Who sees that? Who hears that in our times and generation? We compare our sins against other people's sins. And because of that, we say we are doing okay. If somebody is having an affair and it's one person, they'll justify it and say, it's just one person. I know people that have girlfriends in every postcode and every city in the world. My own is not that bad. Or, you know, we... Sin is sin, oh. Hmm, sin is sin. We grew up Catholic. I grew up Catholic. And in Catholic church, we had what was called mortal sin and venial sin. Am I the only Catholic in this place? Ah, wow. Okay. <laughs> we grew up Catholic, eh? So they had mortal sin and venial sin. I think venial sin was a sin that was not too bad. It was sin, oh. It wasn't too bad. So if you die, you'll go to purgatory like a holding place. If the people that love you pray very hard and give sacrifices and light candles, they can pull you from purgatory into heaven. Mortal sin was a sin that you're going to go straight to hell. So, unconsciously, we are used to mortal sin and venial sin. Try to avoid mortal sin and you'll be alright. Do you understand? But sin is sin. God hates sin. The lie, stealing, cheating, violence, dark heart, infidelity, fornication, they're all the same thing in the eyes of God. And the Lord will have us come into repentance today in the mighty name of Jesus. And those wrong ideologies, the Bible says that deceitful ministers are masquerade as special apostles of the anointed one. That we shouldn't be surprised for even Satan transforms himself to appear as an angel of light. So no wonder then his agents go around pretending to be ministers of righteousness. But in the end, they will be exposed and get exactly what they deserve. But while that is happening, the responsibility is on us to seek God for ourselves. Everything that is not validated in scripture, discard it. Everything not validated in scripture, discard it. Go back to God and say, what are you saying concerning this matter? And so when someone says to you that you're going through this season of drought, you're going through this bad season in your life because of something that you've done, you find a word and you counter it and say it does not align with the word of the Lord for God loves me in spite of my sins if I'm able to come to a place of repentance that there's nothing he says that there is nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God remember all those scriptures and you put it before you and so David is our archetype of a man who ran in parallel seasons. If you go to 1 Samuel 21, 
David had done, um, they had gone to a war. Go to 1 Samuel 21. I think it starts from verse 10. Um, okay. David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Put everything up. Put everything up. Put it all up. Put it up. Yeah. No, no, no. From 10. From 10. Okay. Okay. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Sometimes the praise of man will get us into trouble. There are some things you need to do and just be quiet silently before you enter Wahala. I had, I had, a, I had a line manager in a certain place that I worked who made my life miserable because people used to come and tell him how they liked me. He made it his responsibility to make my life miserable. Like, I would see his call coming and my heart would be beating. I'm like, what kind of wall is this? He would say, I hear, I hear, I hear they like you. That means you're not doing your job well. I'm not joking. I was miserable. He would tell me things like, um, I heard X and Y are whatever. How come I'm the last to hear about it? And I'll say, I don't know. I wasn't in the room with them. No, no, don't tell me that. That's business intelligence. He just made my life so miserable simply because people used to go and tell him that they liked me. That's all I did wrong. I promise you. I did my work. I made him look good. I remember I would list all the things that we had done. For me, it's very easy. Just let me do the work. Let's just be going. I beg. I have other things to go and worry about. I listed all the things we had done. He looked at it and said, ah, I didn't realize we had achieved this much. I was taking it into the next executive meeting. What's my business? I don't care. It doesn't take away anything from me. But it wasn't enough for him just because they said. So that's what these people did to David though. They came back from war and they were saying uh, Saul has killed and David has killed. Put it back. And so poor David had to run away. So at a point when David, you can imagine that this man had already been ordained, I mean anointed by um, Samuel as the next king of Israel. So think about it. At the time he did that, he'll be saying, yeah, I'm working in my anointing. I'm working in my calling. I'm working in my assignment. I'm doing what the Lord will have me do. Do you understand? He would have been operating on a high like, and then... Next thing, he's hearing that Saul wants to kill him. And so he had to run far away from that place before he died before his time. And that's how David found himself in the cave of Adullam in 22. He went into the cave of Adullam. So he goes from a season of great rejoicing and celebration and where he was honored and where he probably felt he was coming into his assignment where his name was on the lips of everyone i would imagine that if it was in this time and season he would have gone viral on all the social media platforms everyone would have been talking about him he would have been called to all the news stations his name would have been in the papers imagine it and then he has to run away to the cave of adalam run away to that place he had to even pretend like he was mad just to escape. Go to 22. And there in that cave, in the place of deep sorrow and deep pain and deep tribulation, probably deep lack, confusion, 
not understanding what was going on. Is this not what the Lord would have had me do? Am I not walking in my obedience and assignment? Is this not what I was supposed to do? My helping to kill these people, did that not bring victory to us? Why am I being persecuted? Why do I have to run away from Saul? And then in that place, it is, account, it is recorded that the people who were broke, the people who were in despair, the people who were heartbroken, the people who were despondent, the people who had lost hope in life, they left the comfort of their home. They left all of the things that they knew and they were familiar with. And they came to meet David in the cave of Adolam. Who goes to meet a man that is in refuge? Who goes to meet a man that is in exile? What we know of the world is that when you are in exile, you are personal non grata. The people that are closest to you and love you the most will wash their hands off you. They will not want to be associated with you. That is what we know. That is what we see. That is what we experience. No, 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. And in this place, men were drawn to David. Men were drawn to the anointing that he carried. Men were drawn to the fire that he carried. Men were drawn to his assignment. It says that David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, they gathered to him. And he became what? Captain over them. So even in the cave, even in the place of his exile, he was still a king. Many of us forget our calling and our assignment in the day of our trouble. The thing that is happening to you does not take away the God's plan for your life. It doesn't take away your identity in Christ. It doesn't take away your assignment. And that is why even in the midst of your pain and your trouble, you arise and do what is required of you. Because the Lord is waiting on you. He needs you. So even in that cave where he was going through deep despair, not knowing what to do, not knowing how he would placate Saul, not knowing how he would come out of that situation and circumstance, he became captain over these people and there were 400 men with him. Do you know how hard it is to lead five people? Five. Have you tried? Oh, forget five. One. Who has somebody reporting to them here at work? One person at least reporting to you at work. You know now, you know how far. Then let alone five, then let alone 400 people when you are at a place where you are broken. But in that place, I would imagine David was a worshiper. I would imagine that David taught them how to worship, how to lift up holy hands and call the name of the Lord. I would imagine that in that place, David was writing the Psalms that we see and the songs that we see. I would imagine that in that place, that David was preaching, preaching and telling them about the word of the Lord and about his experiences and encounters with God. I would imagine that in that cave, David had great encounters and they would see his face shine with the glory of God. And when he pours those messages back to them, their lives will be transformed. I would imagine that in that place, David was talking about the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and calling the things that be not as though they were. And the people would have looked at him and said, what manner of man is this? That in a place of deep pain, 
in a season when things make no sense, he's able to bring transformation to the lives of so many. And it's recorded that David and those 400 men, they did great and mighty exploits for God. And so the cave of Adalam symbolizes a place of pain, a place of exile, a place of refuge. But it's also a place where you come out equipped to do the things that God has called you to do. Through the deepest and darkest seasons of our lives, instead of us to run away from God, we ought to be running into God. In fact, the darker your sin is, is the more you should cling to the hem of his garment. God is not looking for our righteousness. It's like filthy rags before him. The darker your sin is. But what we find is that when we've made mistakes, when we've committed sin, when we are walking out of sync with God, what then happens is that many of us run in the other direction because we think that we need to come to God holy, holy, holy before we can come and save God. Today, the Lord is saying that it doesn't matter how far gone you are. He's inviting you to come back to the feet of Jesus where there is healing, there's restoration, there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's redemption. Every single minute unwavering without apology in the mighty name of Jesus. And so... We, are find ourselves, we find ourselves caught between two seasons of life at every point in time. And what many of us then do is we switch off God for the seasons that are not going to the plan that we want to. When we should actually amplify the voice of God in our lives at that time. Because through that pain that we're going through, we're coming into a deeper understanding. I believe that Job had a deeper encounter with God in the season when the troubles and travails were happening to him. So I would imagine that Job was a man who was still laughing and smiling, not because he was happy that his children had died or he had lost his fortune, but because he knew that every time he looked up to the heavens, the Lord was standing there and speaking to him and telling him deep secrets of the earth and telling him things that can only come from a place of relationship with God. That perhaps that sometimes while God is not the one that causes the bad things to happen, but God allows it for a time and for a season because he would have our attention. Because he's seeking our attention. Because in that place, when he tells us and equips us, in the day that another person is in trouble, we will know exactly what to say to them to pull them out of the clutches of death. So we'd experience love and hate at the same time. Have you ever loved someone so much they did something to you and you felt the same measure of hate? Who has ever experienced that? Ah, you people are lying. I'm sorry. <laughs> that you have never really loved. You, they've done something and you hate them with the same... I know it sounds weird. How can you love and, can, and hate at the same time? It is possible. It is possible. Because of the depth of your love you have for them, you hate the pain that they've caused you from the bottom of your heart. Have you ever cry 
prayed so much that something so little makes you laugh so much. Something that before you would have ignored. But because you're looking for light, you're looking for a small glimmer of hope. Something so small gives you joy in your heart. Until you felt deep pain, eh? You will not know what grasping at straws looks like. You will not know what grasping at straws look like. Have you ever had seasons where you are having a crisis of faith? You're no longer, you're starting to disbelieve the things that God said to you. Because you're like, this equation is not adding up. If God, I mean, I'm a very logical person. If God said this and God said this, therefore, this should be the result. Or in life, if you tell me to tell you something, I'll say, help me, let it make sense to me. One of the biggest problems I had with the Catholic Church was because if you ask questions, they'll say to you, believe without doubting whatever God has revealed. They used to sing it like a mantra. Believe without doubting whatever God has revealed. And I say, I'm just asking for explanation. They'll say to me, believe without doubting whatever God has revealed. Guess the irony. <laughs> now, I believe without doubting <laughs> When I try to make sense of it, and it does not make sense, I just say, whoa, God is God. <laughs> if he said it, it's okay. <laughs> it took me going on that journey to land back there. They should have just taken the time to explain these things to me. <laughs> so life is full of contradictions. So have you been through seasons of deep doubt? Deep doubt. But then, in those seasons, you feel the spiritual awakening. You feel growth. Because now you are questioning things. You're no longer taking what somebody tells you at face value. You're going back to the word of the Lord and saying, what does this mean? I want to understand it. Explain it to me. Let me make, make sense of it. Let, God, you're not, this night as I'm sleeping, you come and tell me in my dream, because right now I'm not believing this thing. That's me, oh. I'm always quarreling with him. Oh, we start quarrel. <laughs> quarrel. Then he will now say to me, Shebi, you were there when I made the foundations of the earth. Then your mouth is just running anyhow. <laughs> I say, just be coming down. But you know, I'm asking because I really want to know. That's kind of how we vibe. I say, but sure you know that after all this, my arguments, I will shall, shall still conform. I just, shall just explain it to me. One kind. In a way, I understand. Yeah? It's okay, no problem. Do it like this. Like this, like this, I say, ah, okay, good. God is fun, no? God is fun. You guys, find your voice and your language with God. Find it. Find it. When you do it, eh, this journey of God will become easier. To become easier. Don't, don't let somebody else, don't experience God through somebody else. The relationship with God is experiential. Do you understand? The way he speaks to me will not be the same he speaks to you or to you. Find God. Find God in the midst of your trouble. Find God in the midst of your pain. And, you know, Elijah had done great and mighty things. Very arrogant person. Said, bring all your gods. He said, shout, 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 shout. Perhaps they are sleeping. They're not hearing you. Shout louder, shout louder. And then after that, psh, destroyed all the prophets of Baal. He said, it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain. I don't, does the Bible tell us what they did to him before he said that thing? 
He just was just showing off. I don't think he says, Abby. Just showing off. Three and a half years, he will not rain because I said so. Then now, the girl carried him, took him, and they were feeding him. Are you seeing that kind of pasha? Meanwhile, the rest of the city was suffering in drought. Great and mighty things that he did. And then one woman just said, I will kill him. And he ran. Ran, 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 ran. <laughs> oh, that is mouth. <laughs> As a safe here, woman. <laughs> no, please, oh. <laughs> for the feminists to come for me. <laughs> no, but truly, you should fear women. <laughs> God has a special love and relationship with women, right? Very special. <laughs> he ran <laughs> from the bragging and the blatant mouth. So now, like, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Only me. <laughs> but God has raised 7,000 prophets that have not bowed their knees to bow, even in our time and our generation. When people say that all the men of God are compromised, all they talk about is prosperity and money and how to take advantage, I say that that is not true, that there are 7,000 prophets that have not bowed their knees to bow. And today you are one of them in the mighty name of Jesus. The Lord will have you be one of them. Even if you don't feel that way in this season of your life, count yourself as among them and do what is required the life of God is a life of obedience it's not a life of perfection none of us can attain it none of us can attain it it's a daily concerted effort with God how can I do it today how can I be better today Lord I will obey I'm a product of obedience there's nothing I've ever wanted to do that I've done really it's always like rather not but one thing I always say when it comes to the things of God when, I come, when it comes to the instructions of God, I will obey and I will trust him that in my obedience, he'll work out a good plan. And that has been the whole testimony of my life. I remember this Elijah man, so brave and so fearful. He reminds me of my mom. My mom is one of, my mom is not, I know everybody says their mom is this, their mom is, no, I promise you, my mom is one of the strongest people that I know in my whole life. In fact, is the strongest. My mom is fearless and brave. When we were kids, my brother, we used to live um, at the, like, um, what's it called? Um, is it cul-de-sac? Yeah, kind of like a cul-de-sac. So our house was like the last house at the end of the street. And we had those um, burglary fences. So um, sometimes the gate is, because it was at the end of the, it kind of felt safe. So it was kind of a safe area, actually. So my, my brothers would sometimes come out and, you know, be playing right in front. While the girls were never brave enough to step out, outside the gate. But you know, boys, very fearless. This particular day, a young man, I would say, maybe he would have been in his 20s at the time. My brother may have been about maybe eight. Now ran, picked my brother up and ran with him right before our eyes. I'm telling you, true story. Hey. <laughs> my mom was always screaming, Mommy, Mommy, they've taken. Mo she ran out. My mother ran. I've never. <laughs> she ran. Usain Bolt had nothing on her. She was running after this man with her whole. I remember in that moment saying, is this how God loves us? Is this how God chases after us? My mother was going to chase that man to Sokoto, even if he had gone to Sokoto. She chased him until when he saw that this woman was not letting up, he dropped my brother 
and he jumped the fence and he ran. That's how they would have kidnapped my brother. So you can imagine that, eh? Eh? In my eye, forget it. <laughs> my mom is right there. Like, my mom would, my mom would sell the, the, the shirt on her back for you. If I have a problem and I call my mother for you, sova. She's not going to ask what she did first. After, she should say, hey, what did you even do? That's how God is with us. But at the same time, this woman, very fearful. Very fearful. If you, if you, if she calls you and your voice is not chirpy, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you sure? I'm like, please. So now I always have to, even when I'm having a bad day, when she calls, I have to pretend. I'm like, hey, mom. How are you? And then 2018, just four days after her birthday, they kidnapped her. Ha. The first thing I said was, hey, this warrior, hey, but this scaredy cat, what is she going to do? Like, I just knew that the same measure of courage she would exhibit is the same measure of fear she was going to exhibit. I was so heartbroken. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. But then every time I remember her fear, the Lord will remind me, the Shebi is not Cecilia. Don't worry. Don't worry. She will carry, the same volume of that fear she has is what she will carry into her courage in dealing with them. By day four, she woke them up one day. She said, wake up. You're supposed to be watching me and you're sleeping. <laughs> She said, what if another gang comes to kidnap me? <laughs> That's what she said to the kidnappers. They were laughing. This girl, mama, this girl international mama. She said, no, please don't sleep. Uh-uh. You're supposed to watch me asleep. Oh, wait, wake up. Uh-uh. What if another gang comes to kidnap me? At least you, I know you now. Please don't, don't sleep. <laughs> By the time they were releasing her, they were doing praise and worship, oh. Morning and night. <laughs> morning, I'm not joking. Morning and night. In fact, the day of her release, the night before, they were, she said they were all in high school. They said, ah, international mama, they're releasing you tomorrow. Ah, releasing you tomorrow. They said, ah, yeah, let us pray for safe passage. <laughs> they prayed for safe passage. And she led the prayers. I said, wonderful. <laughs> so, who would imagine that in such a heartbreaking scenario, it is, I don't wish it on my, on my, the person I hate the most in my life. I don't even think I know anybody that much, but not that important. But, <laughs> do you understand? I don't wish it on anybody. In that place of her deep pain and fear, she said there, was, there were days when she said, I can't come out of this. I'm not going to make it. And this was not the kidnap where they kept her in hotel. Though. You know, there are some kidnaps they keep in hotel and be feeding you. Her own kidnap, they took her into the creeks in Port Harcourt. So not the ones, the fancy ones you hear about. They kept her there. She was on the floor. They put mosquito nets. They put sticks, four sticks, and they draped a net over the sticks. That's where she was sleeping. The men would sleep on the floor beside her with their guns. And it was just before election. Around It was February of that year, just before election. So they kept saying to her, if we don't finalize this thing before election, we are going to go and do election. So we're going to leave you here with one person and we'll come back after election. And that's not a good idea. My mom is hypertensive. My mom is I was on BP medication. 
I mean, she was 66 at the time. She has issues with her leg. I mean, um, um, some mild arthritis, you know. So it, it's not an ideal situation for every, anyone. And she was there on the floor. She was barely eating. She was eating like a few muscles of spoons of something per day because she was afraid to go and use the bathroom. Do you understand? But still, in that place, they were telling her the story of their life. They were telling her how they went into kidnap. They were telling her how deep and dark their lives were how much sorrow they were experiencing how there was no hope for them and how even the money the ransom that may be paid for her they will only get a small fraction of it their pain was so deep that she said to them because she was kidnapped with her car that she said to them don't return the car sell it and settle yourselves can you imagine that so can we dare to pick ourselves out of our pity party in the day when we have dark things happen to us? Can we stop feeling so cheated and so God has abandoned me, my life is over and see beyond that thing that is happening to you at that particular time and moment and know that God will use that thing for his greater glory. Perhaps maybe one or two of those people would one day give their lives. Perhaps one or two of those people one day decide, you know what, this life is not, it's not worth it. Why am I living this kind of life? Let me go try something else. Is it possible that through the dark seasons of our life, that God is using it to bring somebody else into the knowledge of him? Because the person is watching you. It's like they have a front row seat to your pain and to your vulnerability and to your challenges. And when they see you arising out of the ashes, They'll say, surely there's a God because this one should have killed him. Do you understand? So we must learn to embrace trials and travails when they come. For the scripture says that consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your, of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish his work that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything so God will use your testing and your trials to work out something that makes you mature and complete and it says that our suffering will produce perseverance and perseverance will produce character and character will produce hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us and so our perseverance produces hope. And hope is an ingredient of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so you get to the place where you say, even if everything goes wrong, God will still be God. I remember getting to the end of myself one day and I said, what if this was about maybe eight years in? unexplained why we couldn't have children. Gone to all the doctors anywhere that we could afford and anywhere in the world we could afford. Done all the things that the book said to do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. Done all of it and still no results. And then one day I just said, you know what? So what happened? So let's even assume that for some reason God decides that you're not going to have children, which I do not believe. But let's just assume, hypothetically. Uh -huh. So, is he going to stop being God? 
Will somebody replace him? Will the board kick him out? Will they hire a new CEO? Will somebody now undo the earth that he's done and create a new one? I said, God will still be God. I should be running after higher calling, which is Christ Jesus. The goal is heaven. Once I got there, hmm, forget about it. It didn't matter again. This one is telling me, ah, there's this doctor. My cousin went there and she had triplets. I say, wow, where is baby dedication? Am I invited? Yes. They're like, ah, you're not worried. If I want one woman said to that woman, she said to me, ah. <laughs> don't worry. God has many children. And he loves all of them like that. She said, ah. She said, you're not worried though. That's why you don't have children. You're not worried. I said to her, oh yeah, what will I do? I said, if it's work, I know what to do. If it's business, I know what to do. If it's financial wahala now, I know I can call and beg for money. If it, do you understand? But this one, what do you do? Tell me, don't tell me how you create a child. Can someone tell me? Let me tell you something, eh? Forget all the advancements in science, eh? They will never create a human being. They will never create a human being. Because that's the one thing that will still show the supremacy of God. They will never create. So when you get to that place when you know that there's nothing you can do about this one. Except just have faith and trust God that at the right moment, his promises will be yea and amen. You can go to sleep and have peace. So when I even go to places and they are saying, all those trusting God for the fruit of the womb, come out. I didn't go out. Not from a place of embarrassment or a place of self-preservation, but it was from a place where it didn't matter anymore. Do you understand? It didn't matter to me anymore. I know what I wanted. I know what I desired. But I was not going to let it define who I was or my relationship with God or keep me from my assignments. I wasn't going to let that. Many of us are not operating in our calling and our assignment because we're waiting for God to fix a particular area of our lives. But do you know when he's going to fix it? Did he tell you? Did he give you the date on the calendar? Did he? God will have you arise and do what he's asked you to do regardless. If he asks you to speak about business and you don't have 10,000 naira in your account, it does not matter. There's a principle that he's giving to you that somebody else will take and run with it. And the person doing that will bring help and succor to many. It's not about you. It's about him. Don't tell someone who's divorced that they cannot teach about marriage. The very fact that their marriage broke down, they can tell you how it broke down. They can tell you. I remember people would say to me, they'll tell me some marital issues that they're having and I'll say to them, I can't relate. I can't really help you because I can't relate to this thing that you're saying. And I don't want to speak from a place of foolishness. So can I just pray with you? Because I can't relate to this thing. So I, can't, I couldn't have been a very effective marriage counselor. Do you understand? I could have because I'm a child of God and I'm a minister. So I will study to show myself approved. But it would not come from an experiential place. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So do not look at your current challenges and situation and say, I am not equipped to do that. Perhaps that's the very thing. That is the criteria and the reason why it's you and not me. And so, three questions we need to ask ourselves as I wrap up. What will God have you learn in this season? 
what will God have you learn in this season? Because for everything that happens to us in the parallel seasons of life, both the good and the bad, God is speaking and God is teaching us something. But sometimes we let the seasons pass and we've actually learned nothing. We talk about it as gist and stories without saying, this is what I learned in this season. What will others overcome because of you? Corinthians says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God, the comforter. Do you understand? The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the same comfort that we have received from God. And so we go through it, we see the grace and the mercy of God. We encapsulate it in our hearts and the day somebody else comes with that same trouble, we are able to comfort them with the same comfort that God has comforted us. Yeah? And then the third question, what is the greater glory? What will God that God's name may be glorified through our trials and our travails. It says that if in Peter, Peter um, 1, 3 and 4, that praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, of fate that this inheritance is kept in heaven for you the goal is heaven guys the goal is heaven none of us will miss heaven because of the troubles of our life that even though we might sin and make mistakes as we try to navigate through difficult seasons and great seasons of our life because even during the good seasons of our life we have a tentative there's a propensity to fall into sin there's a measure of excess that you have. You become a God unto yourself. Nobody's able to speak to you anymore. Nobody's able to question you. Nobody's able to admonish you. Nobody's able to tell you because you're looking at the person and saying, how much do you have in your bank account? You want to talk to me about this? Because we measure things with our flesh. We measure a man's authority and influence by how much money he has or the number of people that he knows or the quality of the people that he knows, not about the God that is inside of him. Some of the people that we see with the smallest of our eyes are great and mighty warriors in the eyes of God. They can't even stand beside the people that we give respect to in the world. And when these people we give respect in the world, when they open their skeletons, their wardrobe for you, you will not touch anything that they give to you. You will not. I promise you. Even if you're broke, you will not take a job from them. Except you want to die before your time. Because the thing that they are doing, you don't have the power to do it. Do you understand? So, the goal is heaven. That is the greater glory. That will be reunited with our Father in heavenly places. Singing Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. The angels are singing. Hosanna in the highest. But we are there as one of the angels singing Hosanna in the highest, bringing glory to his name, bringing restoration back to the earth, partnering with him on this assignment. 
the, the goal is heaven. The goal is not how much money that we have. And in the seasons, when you go through the two seasons of life, you know, the word of the Lord says, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. So in the seasons of excess and good things and great tidings and the money and the wealth and all of those things that our hearts desire, we give God glory. But in the seasons when we go to the dark and the difficult moments, which come for everyone regardless of who you are, you think you don't have troubles until you hear the troubles of someone. I remember a couple I used to look up to, and I, I still do, they're one of my mentors still to, you know, you know, hopefully forever, because I absolutely love them and have the most respect for them. And I used to look at them and they just loved people and they would speak so eloquently and present themselves until the day they shared about their son having a stroke at age four because he was sickle cell. And all the journeys that he had to go on, the hospitals and the trials and the, even the trials in their marriage and all of that. And I'm like, oh, wow, you think you have problems. And then you hear people that look all together and they tell you the problems that they have. And you're like, wow. So we learn to abase and abound because those seasons will come. And don't let anybody tell you a lie. No, but don't let anybody tell you that you're only going to have good seasons. God never said that. We said that through it, I will be with you and I will rescue you. It says that I will set your feet upon the rock and I'll pull you out of the merry clay. And it says that those who sow with me will rest, those who, 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 thank you, will reap in joy. And it says those who wait upon the Lord will sow like on wings of eagle. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not grow faint. It says I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, not through my bank accounts or the people around me. It says I create light out of darkness. I send the good times and the bad times. I am the Lord who does these things. Hi. Isaiah 45, 7. I create light out of darkness so that means if you go back to the scripture at the beginning he said i pulled light out of darkness i think that was god just showing us that when the dark seasons of your life come and you think it's over and nothing can come out of it you remember if we were made in his image and likeness and his spirit sat over the darkness and then he pulled light out of darkness we then need to be asking ourselves where is the light I'm pulling out of this dark season of my life? God, I want to pull light out of this dark season of my life. I want that there's transformation in the life of someone because of a dark season of my life. I want your name to be glorified in the dark season of my life. I want to see you in the dark season of my life. I want to have an encounter with you. I want to hear your word so clear. Let there be no confusion in this dark season of my life, oh God. I am on my knees before you, my Father. Show yourself true, oh God. Show yourself true in this dark season of my life. He says, because God says, I send the good and the bad times. How do you know there's good if you don't know what bad looks like? How do you know? He says, I, the Lord, just in case you're thinking is the people in the village. I am the one who does these things that his name will be glorified. And so this season, I ask of you to stay connected to God. 
God is speaking to his prophets in these last times. He's giving people specific instructions and directions on how to navigate through the seasons and come out of every dark hole that they found themselves in. He's also giving instructions of how to stay in the season of good and great that he has called into you, you called you into so that one mistake or one misstep does not take you out of that season. God is asking you to stay connected to the community of believers. There is a role and an assignment that each of us as a body of Christ, we play. There's a community, there's, there's something people tell you, you don't need church. You don't need church. What is church? Church is a community of believers. Radisson Hill is not the church. We were meeting in Pastor Mo's house for a very long time. That was church. But when you separate yourself from a community of believers and you take yourself into another fold of people that do not share the same ideologies and values as you, when you are going through troubles and travail, they will tell you their own that is bigger than them and tell you how you are doing okay. And you will stay there. You are not responding to a higher call. You, you don't have a higher standard you are listening to. You don't. And let me tell you, they are happy to drag you down to their level. Let all of us suffer together. You cannot be better than us. There are people, eh? If I offend them, it's me that will tell them sorry. If they offend me, it's me that will still tell them sorry. Do you know why? I desire their community of their faith. I desire the things they inspire in me. The things they stoke in me. I desire the fact that they say to me, Uche, you are a child of God. You can do it. You will overcome this one. They challenge my, 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 my theology and my ideologies. They tell me about God. I covet their friendship. I desire it. Stay with the community of believers. Do not disdain the family that God has given you in the place of faith. Don't disdain it. The world doesn't really care about you. They don't. I promise you. You will have a sound mind. You will have a sign man because you cannot produce good out of a broken mind so in the day of travail you put your hand on your head and you call upon the name of the lord and say lord i will not go mad i will not the voices that are speaking in my ear a contrary word i rebuke them in the mighty name of jesus you said i have a sound mind the spirit of the lord is upon me before you i was born you knew me and you called me as a prophet unto the nation even this one i will overcome i overcome by the blood of the land and the word of my testimony you said the things that god has done before you in the past and you bring it to remembrance until you have a sound mind and in that place God can then use you to do the work that he's calling you to do and you must obey God the instructions that God will tell you will not make sense sometimes but obedience is better than sacrifice obedience is better than sacrifice God desires above everything our obedience Noah obeyed him even when he looked stupid building an ark that nobody had ever seen before when he said to Abraham move from where you are to here when he says to this person do not fight this battle stand and raise your hands when he says walk around and just shout do you know how stupid it will look for people to be walking around the walls of Jericho walking around walking around walking around and just shouting ah hallelujah to God. Hallelujah in the highest heavens. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Do you know what those walls were made of? Go and read. 
Do you know what those walls were made of? Those walls were a fortress. They were meant to be strong, stronger than anything else. And yet at the shout of an hallelujah, those walls came crumbling down. Have you shouted hallelujah in your trouble? Have you shouted hallelujah in your trouble? Have you shouted Hosanna in the heavens in your trouble? Have you shouted? Mountain Peter removed at the sound of the hallelujah. Hosanna in the heavens. As I declare my Hosanna in the heavens. All those walls are broken down. All those walls are broken down. All the chains are broken down. Everything that has stood as an altar, everything that has stood as a principality, everything that has stood as a limitation, everything that has stood as an obstacle, as an idol before the authority of the Lord. As I shout, Hosanna, it comes stumbling down. It comes stumbling down. It comes stumbling down. It comes stumbling down today. It comes stumbling down today. It comes stumbling down. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous running and they are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous running and they are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous running and they are safe. And so this morning, if the Lord has done anything for you, if there's anything that has stood as an obstacle before you, can you stand up and say a prayer this morning? Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 